First John chapter one. And with your other hand, Luke 24. We've had a lot of things in our minds lately. And praise God for Bible conference and praise God for church and praise God for the ability he gives us to get our minds right, get our minds on what they need to be on. As I pastor, most people that I try to help, their minds just on whatever their problem is. You say, well, how could my mind not be on my problem? Everybody has problems. Well, you just got to put your mind somewhere else. My hard dilemma is trying to get people to get their mind off their problem, get their mind on Jesus. And as soon as I start talking about you, yes, but, yes. But you don't understand. No, you don't understand. If you could just get your mind on Jesus, if you could really look into Jesus enough, if you would put your heart and thoughts and imaginations in the Lord enough, your problems wouldn't go away, but it sure would help you. And I think uh, God's people's minds have been a lot of places lately, but I know where they need to be. John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. I think he knew the genuine article. He touched Jesus. He heard his voice. He walked with him. He studied him. Verse 2, for the life was manifest. We have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father. And was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard. Declare we unto you. That ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. John is saying I handled him. I beheld him. I looked upon him. He went through all those ads. I've seen him. And I didn't just see him, I looked upon him. That, that, that implies some study. I, my hands handled him. He said again, I've seen it, bear witness, and I want you to see it. I want you to see him. I want you to hear him. I want you to have the same fellowship with him that I've had with him. And if we could have that same real fellowship and relationship with the Lord, then our joy would be full, he says. But it's hard to have that relationship with somebody you don't know much about, thus going back to my message on another Jesus. How can we handle and have fellowship and behold and look upon and let our minds be filled with somebody that we really don't know a whole lot about? In Luke chapter 24, if you'd go there. You know, there's a whole lot more about Jesus than just that is written in the Gospels. There is much more about our Lord Jesus Christ that we have to learn than is just written in the New Testament. As you're in Luke 24, I remind you what Jesus said to, to all those Pharisees in John 5. He, he said, search the scriptures. 
Now, what they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, actually. Those weren't, those weren't the scriptures he was referring to. He said, search the scriptures. That's Genesis to Malachi. Search the scriptures. You know what he said? He said, they are they which testify of me. So evidently, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and all the Old Testament is a testimony to Jesus Christ. But many times, I never forget early in my ministry, I started preaching to some of those books in the Old Testament. I had saints of God coming to me and said, I've never studied any of those books in the Old Testament. You know, when we aren't acquainted with the Old Testament, some people don't even read the Old Testament. Hey, we got one Bible. We don't have two. You say, well, we got it. We have to write it about it. That's right. But always remember that those Old Testament scriptures, they're about Jesus. That's what he said. Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 27, one of the profound verses in the Bible, as Jesus is walking on the Emmaus Road with these two disciples after the resurrection. The Bible says they don't know who he is. In Luke 24, 27, the Bible says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. Do you believe every word of the Bible? I don't, I can't imagine this conversation. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, look at it. He expounded unto them in, what's the next word? <laughs> all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I don't know how long that journey was, but I know by the time they got to the house, they said, we want some more of this. Please stay. These are things that we've never thought about or we've never heard about or we've never put together. And all that's about Jesus. Now, you know, as a good Bible-believing Christian, you know those types and pictures in the Bible of our Lord. There are so many of them. And you couldn't exhaust them all. He just said, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he's in every one of them. But when you look, if we want to really get our minds full of Jesus so we can have fellowship, so we can have joy, and so we can really know the real Jesus, the real Jesus of the Bible, not just a cliche, then we're going to have to behold him and look upon him. We're going to have to learn. We're going to have to hold him up to the light and look and, and, look and see and behold his face in this book. You know those types. You know, Benjamin Keats, that's a good book. You ever got it? He lived in the 1600s. He was a Baptist that actually wrote, which was amazing, especially in 1600. He wrote a big, thick book called Types and Metaphors in the Bible. Good book to read. But, you know, with all the metaphors, you understand typology. Jesus even talked about typology. He talked about typology being a type of himself. He, and he didn't go into all of it in the gospels where he told these guys. I don't know what all he told those guys. But when he was out there, you know, with the, before he was going to feed the multitude, and he talks about uh, your father's ate manna in the wilderness, right? And then he says, what, I am the bread of life. I'm the manna. Just like that manna, it came down from God. I've come down from God. Just like that man is for you every day, I am your daily bread. I am your sustenance. I am your life. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. 
He was using the manna as a type of himself. Jesus did that in many cases. He said in John 3, you know the reference. He says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the son of man be lifted up. And that brazen serpent that they lifted, everybody was snake bit. And if they just look, if they would just look on that serpent, they would live. And Jesus said, that's about me. You're all snake bit. You need to look to me. He says, that rock. Somebody go get God. We're thirsty. Did I hear that song tonight? And they're in the wilderness and they're thirsty. And Jesus comes a woman at the well and she says, he says, you know, I know where the water is. Matter of fact, I've got water. I got more water than, 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 than you can even uh, consume. I, I've got, uh, out of your belly can flow rivers. I'm the water of life. He's going to say through it. I'm, I'm your drink of water. You know what that is? That's a picture of that Old Testament as they're walking through and they're all dying of thirst. And so what had to happen? That rock had to be smitten. And he was smitten so that you and I could get a drink of eternal, everlasting water. And he was only supposed to be smitten once, but if you need water again, all you have to do is go speak to him. Lord, I need some water. Okay, here you go. Moses ruined that type and paid for it. I mean, all the types in the Bible that try to describe Jesus. John the Baptist, he, he knew that. He stepped out and said, behold, the Lamb of God. He's telling you, that Old Testament Lamb back there, you all know that. That's a type of Jesus Christ. I got to preach the other week about 1 Corinthians 5, 7, about Christ, our Passover, his sacrifice. You know, everything about the Passover, it's about Jesus. Everything about all those feasts, it's all about Jesus. All the offerings, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's a picture. I wonder how much we've handled that and looked upon that and studied that and consumed that. All those details of all those pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. And, and they're not perfect pictures, of course, because there's none like him. Amen. You, you can't have a perfect picture of Jesus, but you can sure learn a lot about him. You can see him in Isaac. I mean, a miraculous birth. 190-year-old people don't have babies. Jesus' miraculous birth, Isaac's miraculous, the, the miraculous sacrifice of Isaac that he wouldn't open his mouth and he walked up Golgotha's hill, amen, with his father and became a substitute and then God provided himself a lamb and Jesus said that Abraham saw my day and was glad and in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. All that about Isaac, that's about Jesus, you see. And about him getting a bride and how that was miraculously done. That's all about Jesus. Moses. He said, he said it's going to be a prophet raised up like unto me. I tell you what, I get to think sometimes and I wonder what's wrong with this world and I wonder what's wrong with that world. You know, they hadn't, had any, they hadn't been seeing any miracles and all of a sudden somebody showed up like Moses to the world, Jesus Christ, and he was that prophet of God and he started doing miracles. You'd think the whole world would believe him. Raise the dead, heal the sick had those powers that Moses had. You'd think the whole, you say, well, a lot of them did. More didn't than did. And then the ones that did forgot about it later, I guess, there's just 120 of them after the cross. Mm. All those pictures, Joseph, man, you'd preach all night on Joseph. 
rejected of his brethren, thrown down in the pit, innocent. And yet, in the prison house, he says, remember me. Whew. Remember me. I read something about that in the New Testament about doing something in remembrance of me. And then how Joseph was exalted out of that prison house. Amen. And then he went into the palace. He became the ruler. And then he revealed himself the second time to his brethren. All oh, that's about Jesus. All oh, that's a picture of your Lord so that we might be filled with joy. Joseph. Hmm. Jonah, three days, three nights. The heart of the earth. On and on and on. But where I want to take you this evening, if you'd go with me quickly, is the first Samuel chapter 13. I can talk to you about Joshua. He led the children into the promised land. Joshua's name is connected with the name of Jesus. Moses couldn't take him in. The law couldn't take him in. But Joshua could take him in the promised land. Solomon, oh, what a picture of Jesus, Solomon. Aren't you glad there's coming a day of peace? There's coming a kingdom? Well, you, you, you study Solomon. I don't think we have a clue how rich Solomon was. You know what the book says about Solomon? That he made silver and gold like stones in Israel. Guys, I, I got to get my head around that. Silver and gold was like the gravel outside in Solomon's kingdom. You know, one day Jesus is coming again and there's going to be a different value. Amen. And that the one that owns it all is going to run it all. Amen. And it's going to be peace. But where I'm looking tonight, and all these characters have different things about them, problems about them, of course. No perfect type. But I want to talk to you for a little while about Jonathan's greatness. I see Jesus in 1 Samuel. Would you look at it with me? The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel. Whereof 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah, Benjamin. And the rest of the people, he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison, the Philistines, that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines. Hmm. That's a little interesting to me as I look at the character of Jonathan and his greatness and as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and I hope you'll bear with me to see these things. They're not perfect. But I think all that Old Testament's about him. When I see Jonathan and Saul and Jonathan goes out and wins this battle, who fought this battle? Verse number three, who was it? Say, Jonathan fought the battle. But when it was announced to all the people of Israel in verse number three and verse number four throughout all the land, the Bible said in verse number four, and all Israel heard say that who? Saul had smitten. Now, now, did Saul smite a garrison? It was Jonathan. You know, I find in Jonathan a story of a great courageous fighter. I find in Jonathan a story of a courageous savior that delivered other people. But when he would do it, 
He always did it in his father's name. He did it for the credit and the glory of his father. It, they weren't playing trumpets and beating bands saying, hey, Jonathan won. No, it all went to the credit of his father. You know, everything that Jesus did, he did to the glory of his father. He didn't do it for his own glory. He didn't do it for his own recognition. He did all those things that pleased his father. And he sought no glory. He just sought the glory above. The Bible said in verse four, Saul heard say, or Israel heard say, that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. Now this is the first big battle, major battle of Saul's kingdom. And the Bible said in verse five, and the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. Verse six, when the men of Israel saw they were great, they were straight for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits because of the COVID. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me I, my filter doesn't work sometimes. They're all, I'm saying they're all scared to death. Why are they scared? Well, there's, there's a little bit of a good reason for that. If you drop down at the end of the chapter, verse 19, now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel for the Philistines said, let the Hebrews, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his colter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the colters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people. Why are they afraid? Because they have nothing to fight with. They have no weaponry. They have no sword. Keep reading. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son was there found. The only one that had the weaponry, the only one that had the sword was Jonathan and his father. The only one that had the defense against the enemies was Jonathan and his father. And if they were going to get deliverance, they would have to get it from Jonathan and his father because they had the weaponry for it. You know, we have no defense of our own. There is no way that we can defend ourselves. It doesn't matter what government it is. It doesn't matter uh, what, what the problem or the issue is. We need a fearless fighter that has the tools and the weapons to stand up and we need to let him be strong. We need to let him win the battle. That's Jonathan. This story continues on in chapter 14. And so here's the battle. It's an interesting battle. The Bible says in verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 14, and Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, behold, we will pass over unto these men and we will discover ourselves unto them. Guys, I cannot put into English words how crazy this is. Yeah. Here is one man 
taking another man and going to a army that has a multitude like the sand on the seashore and they're not planning a covert operation. They are not uh, special forces going in by night. Jonathan comes up, he says, all right, here's a plan. I'm going to step out and say, here I am. And if they say come up, we're going to go up. He said, we're going to discover, we're just going to get right there out in the open. I tell you guys, this is the bravest man I've ever read. He's either brave or he is insane. He has such faith in his God. This is craziness. I mean, at least Gideon, when he did all that stuff, he, he had a few more things in there. I mean, Jonathan, he said, no, we're, we're not going to listen to what they say. We're just going to go right out there and discover ourselves to them. Hey, Philistines, over here, do you see me? And what happened? Verse Verse number 11, and both of them discovered themselves in the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered uh, Jonathan his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. Watch this. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet. Whew. He's going uphill on his hands and his feet. You know what I know about my Jesus? He was so fearless that he presented himself to the world. He says, all right, do your worst. Here I am. I'm not hiding. I'm not running. Oh, you're going to put Pilate in front of me? Pilate, I'll tell you. I'll tell you straight. You're going to put Herod in front of me? You're going to put the high priest in front of me? You're going to bring the multitude, the Pharisees, the scribes, whoever you want to bring. I'm right here out in the open. I'm not going to say anything in secret. I'll say it all publicly. I'll preach it right in front of you. I'll preach it in the temple and I'll go to the garden of Gethsemane and when you come to do your worst and you want to come by night and you bring your big forces and you think you're going to arrest me and you say, where's Jesus? I'm going to step up and say, here I am. Right here I am, not running from the fight, not running from the battle. I want you to know how fearless. I want you to know what a fighter Jesus is. I want you to know how courageous the Son of God was for you and for me. And he discovered himself and climbed up, his, climbed up the hill for your victory and for my victory. You want to be like Jesus? You want to open up your life? You want to make yourself vulnerable? Jonathan says, let's discover ourselves to them. So they had this great victory. Two men. And they win the victory. And so the Bible says, drop down the same chapter, chapter 14. Verse number 20, and Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves and they came to the battle, a little late to the battle. It's already over. Aren't you glad you and I don't have to fight the battle? That he's, that greatness of Jonathan, he's already won the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, 
And there was a very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even uh, they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. The Bible says in verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day. Drop down to verse 25. And all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were coming to the wood, behold, the honey dropped. But no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. What is that oath? Verse 24. Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on my enemies, so none of the people tasted food. And so they're famished, they're distressed, and then from the journey, from the battle, and there's honey all over the ground but they do not eat of it. In verse 27, the Bible says, But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. You drop on down, the Bible says what happens here because they do not eat, verse 32, because they don't want to be cursed. Verse 32, the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen, calves, and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. They transgressed. I look at that story and that battle, and I see this. You know, really, Jonathan's innocent in all this thing. He didn't know there was a cursed place, he was innocent. And really who was guilty, I've always wondered in my mind's eye when they get to the story and Saul wants to find out who's guilty and wants to bring judgment upon them and they're cursed and they shall surely die. I'm thinking in my mind, what about all these people that have been eating all day? And I mean, they've been, they, they ran out in the field and grabbed sheep and oxen and goats and, and ate with the blood. Why aren't they judged? You know what I see in this story? Everybody's guilty but one guy. But he's the one that got cursed. You see that? Ever, and you know what else I see about there? There's honey all over the ground. Oh my. When we read over there in the book of Isaiah, it talks about that virgin will be with child and she'll conceive and, and call his name Emmanuel. You know what it says? It said, butter and honey shall he eat. You go over there in the Psalms and he says about this book of God, the, the, the statutes of God, the word of God tells us is, is enlightening to the eyes and sweeter also than honey the honeycomb. In other words, the Bible is a type of that honey. The word of God, the Bible even says that about itself. It's, it's God's honey. It's, he said uh, to Ezekiel, eat this, uh, eat this roll. It, it's my roll. It's my book. He ate it and it was sweet as honey. J Revelation chapter 10, an angel comes and says, here, eat this book. It's God's book. He eats the book. It's sweet as honey. That book's honey. Listen, listen. And it was all over the ground to a famished people, but nobody's eating it but one. One had the honey. One had the enlightened eyes. He said there in Ephesians chapter one that through the knowledge of him, your eyes can be enlightened. 
He knew something that the rest of them didn't know. The greatness of Jonathan. And yet he comes before his father. And his father says, Thou shalt surely die. And Jonathan doesn't fight. Jonathan doesn't fuss. But God delivers him. He delivers him for a while, but you know, he did die. He died in the last chapter of this book. He died on a mountain doing the will of his father. And there were three there. You think, oh, that's just a coincidence. You say, well, I don't know about it. He, he was there with this. Jonathan, I'm telling you, he was going to do the will of his father. And I know how dirty Saul was. And I, and, and I understand the types aren't perfectly pure. But I'm telling you that Jesus Christ did the will of his yeah. father. And he said when he died for you and me, it was not just because we were so special. He was in that garden and he said, if, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But Father, I'm going to do your will. And I'm the only innocent one. But I'll take it. I not only see it in that story, I see it in another chapter. We still good? Look at chapter 14 again. In chapter 14, excuse me, that, that was verse 44 when he told him that he was going to die. So he's cursed in victory. Cursed in victory. And I'd say this, it's either honey or the flesh. Did you get that? It's either Jonathan's honey or it's, or it's the flesh. Why in the world are we so uh, uh, appetized for the flesh instead of the honey of God? He was cursed in victory. He was a courageous Savior. But look at chapter 19 where I want to go. Chapter 19, verse 1. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. Verse number four, and Jonathan spake good of David unto his father and said unto him, let not the king sin against his servant against David because he hath not sinned against thee. And because his works have been to thee were very good for he to put his life in his hand and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to save David, save David without a, slay David without a cause. Verse six, and Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan and Saul swears the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. Here we find that Jonathan's father is committed in his wrath to destroy someone. And Jonathan stands in the way to deflect the father's wrath and to be the advocate of the hated. And says he's not sinned. Now I know a lot about David, but I tell you what, I know David's a sinner. You say, well, he's innocent in this cause. And we understand that. But David was a sinner. But Jonathan said, there's, there's no sin about him. He's, a, he's all right. Dad, don't be, don't be angry with him. Lord, he, he, Father, don't be angry with him. 
He's all right. He's innocent. Look at chapter 20. In chapter 20, the Bible says in verse number 26, Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought something hath befallen him. He's talking about David. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to me, neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go, I pray thee. Verse number 30, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know uh, that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thy own confusion and under the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. Wherefore Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Jonathan is the deflector of his father's wrath and the advocate of the hated. You know, I don't think we understand the wrath of God towards man. God, the Bible says, angry with the wicked every day. And God's wrath, you know, the Bible says the same chapter about about everlasting life, talks about the wrath of God abiding on us that have not believed. And what Jesus did was the same thing Jonathan did. He stepped between the wrath of his father and the one his father wanted to kill and said, Father, no, don't do this. He's innocent. You say, Jesus declares that we're innocent. Oh, yes. Based upon his blood, we're standing in his righteous. We're clean. We're purified. In him is no sin. And, and, and Jesus stands with his Father and says, Father, don't be angry. I'm going to stand in the way. I will stand between heaven and earth for them. Don't be angry with them. Father, forgive them. God Almighty took a javelin at his own son. And the son stepped in the way and took the blow that you and I should have had. That's the greatness. You know what Saul said to Jonathan? He said, you know what? If you take this blow, if you choose to love this individual, you're going to lose your kingdom. Right? You deserve a kingdom, son. The, the kingdom's already for you. I'm not going to be around here much longer. And Jonathan, you're going to be the king. And Jonathan says, I know I deserve to be the king, but my love is for someone else more than my love is to be the king. Oh, he was the king of kings. He was the king of Jews, of the Jews. He's still the king of kings. But you know what Jesus Christ did when he came the first time? He said, I'll just step back from that which is owed me. I'll step back from that which that's rightly deserved because I love somebody else. That's going to cost me the throne right now. Not later. You remember he did tell David later, We'll just rule together. Yeah. 
Remember that? Remember that? Oh, when all this gets worked out and dad's recipes, we'll just rule it together. The greatness of my Jesus. You know what? I see such love there. You know, some of us have a hard time loving our wives like Christ loved the church because she don't deserve it. You know, David didn't deserve to be loved. Matter of fact, David was an insignificant character until God's exaltation of his life. David really didn't deserve to be loved because if you reason out in your mind, this is, this is costing Jonathan everything to love David. David's got every reason in the world to mind his own business and turn away and let David just do whatever David's doing and he's going to do what he's supposed to do. But David chooses to love somebody even when it was going to hurt. You know what you need to do to your wife, sir? You need to love her like Christ. Even if it hurts you, even if it costs you something. That book tells us to, to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That book tells us that we don't love the brethren. I find people sometimes, they'll love as long as it doesn't hurt them to love. As long as it doesn't cost them something. And the greatness of Jonathan was he loved somebody even to the point of it costing him such a dear, dear price. It cost him the crown. He loved David so much. Look at chapter 19, verse 7. Jonathan called David, even though Saul was mad at him, you know. I love all these pictures in the Bible. 1 Samuel 19, 7, Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul. Do you see that? <laughs> and he was in his presence at the time past. The only way David got back to the king, Jonathan had to bring him there. The only way Jonathan could be restored or David could be restored was that Jonathan had to bring him there. He had to be the go-between. He had to be the advocate. He had to be the one that would love and speak up. In chapter 18, look at his great love. I'm getting somewhere and I'll be done. The Bible said in chapter 18, verse 1, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit under the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Does Jesus care? Does Jesus love me? Verse 3, but then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. You know how much Jonathan loved David? Look at verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. He gave him his garments. He gave it even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. He said, I love you so much. I'm going to give you my clothes. I'm going to give you my sword. I'm going to give you everything I have. It belongs to me. But you poor little David, you poor little shepherd boy, you, you, little, you little poor little boy, I'm going to give you only what a king could give you. Did Jesus Christ not give us his own robe of righteousness? Did he not give us his sword? Did he not give us his girdle of truth? Did he not clothe us with the garments of his salvation? You know why? 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 Because he loved you as his own soul. Jesus loves me, this I know. He loved me more than he loved himself. 
What a great heart of love that he had for somebody that's just going to cost him. You know, in chapter 20, verse 41, he's crying over me. It almost, you know, the homosexuals made such a mockery out of that passage. He cries over David. He, the, the, the love and the kisses there, and they, they think, oh, what, what a perverted thing. That's because they have a perverted mind. They read about John leaning, leaning on Jesus' breath. Look, look you're, not, you're not just talking about just some man. You're talking about the creator. When John leaned on Jesus, he heard the heartbeat of God. The one that made him, the one that created all things. And John says, I just got to get a little closer. And Jonathan loved, was such a great man of love that he loved that that was, shouldn't have been loved to the point of tears and weeping and kisses. Oh, I think we have no idea the love of Jesus for us. We don't know the height or the depth we can't comprehend it. What is man that you're mindful of us, but oh, what is man that you would love us? And it costs you everything. Jonathan, he made a covenant with him. And he made a covenant with him because he loved him. Look at chapter 20, verse, 19, verse 16, 1 Samuel 20 and 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require at the hand of David, David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Can you see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ causing him to make a covenant? He said, well, we'll make an agreement with you. And this agreement, this is how long it's going to last. Would you look at verse 42? And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed. What does he say? Forever. Jonathan says, I love you so much, Jonathan. Jonathan said to David, I love you so much, this is going to last forever. It's going to last forever. Guys, y'all know this is going to last forever. Have you grabbed a hold of the, the real thing? Have you seen the real Jesus that loves you so much? He wants you to be with him forever. I love a lot of people, but I don't want to live with them forever. <laughs> Amen. My wife and I are empty nesters. I love my children, but you know, it's pretty good that they're not there to have. <laughs> and it's terrible to say it. Yeah. Sometimes I like just being by myself. You ever been that way? You know what God says? I love you guys so much. Let's just make an agreement. We're going to do this forever and ever and ever. And nothing will separate our love. What a great heart that God would demonstrate toward you. And I have a problem loving him. I have a problem uh, being, being uh, adoring him. I have a problem thinking about him. He said, my seed, my seed forever. And you know, that came to pass. You remember when he came over there in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and David said, I, I want to show somebody my grace and my favor for Jonathan's sake. And you know what? Forever and ever and ever, you're going to have the grace and the favor and the goodness and the love and the kindness of God for one person's sake and one person alone. It'd be for Jonathan's sake. And the king will say, pull up a chair at my table. It's not because you, you're a broken person, but Jonathan, I can't. I just can't get him off my mind. 
And if, if Jonathan, if Jonathan's loved me that much, I, I want you to sit at my table. If Jonathan loved you that much, I want you to sit at my table. We'll take care of you. You know, the Bible says we are Christ's seed. We are Christ's house. We are his household of faith. But the only reason we have, you know, guys, I wouldn't know if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. I wouldn't know Brother Tim. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I'd never met James Knox. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I wouldn't have met old hardhead Angelo back there. We had such a great time. What a blessing. I'd never known Angel. I'd never known Travis. I'd never known any of you. We wouldn't have any of this. We wouldn't have church service. We wouldn't have joy. We wouldn't have fellowship. We wouldn't have singing. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we don't have a thing. It's just for his sake. So why couldn't we be in love with him? Why did we come to church and think more about us than him? When we come to church, why is our mind on everything in the world but him? You know how the story of Jonathan ends? Oh, you say it's death. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the next chapter. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, David says, everybody come here. I want you to learn how to play. I want you to learn how to play. I want you to get that instrument, learn that instrument. You figure out that instrument, you figure out that instrument. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to teach every one of you how to play these instruments. And then I'm going to teach you a song. You know who they sang about? They sang about Jonathan and his father. You know why they started singing? He says, long ago, we're going to sing about, we're going to sing about him. Oh, they were mightier than eagles, he said. But this is what got me today when I was reading it, fresh and new. He, he had all those songs. He said, I, want, I, don't want you, I don't want you to forget Jonathan. So we, we are going to learn all these songs because we don't want to forget about Jonathan. And we got to sing them and we got to be skillful in playing because Jonathan, and I'll tell you why we're going to sing. Look at this. Second Samuel. I'm finished, I promise you. Second Samuel chapter one. He teaches them those instruments in verse 17 and 18, he gives you the song through the chapter. Watch verse 26. I'm distressed. This is part of his song. I'm distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful. He said, I'm going to sing about you because your love for me was so wonderful. And how can we sing how marvelous, how wonderful, and it not be just a plastic flower or a plastic plant? How can it be something real? Lord, your love for me is wonderful. Therefore, I will sing. Therefore, I will live. Therefore, I will teach because nothing passes it. No woman I've ever been with, David says, no one I've ever met. Your love is wonderful, Jonathan. And I'm going to sing about it. I'm going to keep singing about it. I thirsted in a barren land of sin and shame. 
and nothing satisfying thereafter. But then one day, that blessed cross you see came, and those springs of living water did abound. Do you love him tonight? Do you really love him? When you sing, does the love just ooze out of your eyes and out of your heart? And as we live, do we really know the greatness of that courageous fighter, that fearless one, that one that deflected the Father's wrath and was the advocate for the hated, the one that loved us when we, when we really shouldn't have been on the page, the one that sacrificed the crown, the one that was cursed when he was the only one innocent, and the one that brought us to the king and the one that clothed us with his garments and the one that gave us his sword and the one who had all the honey, amen, and had the enlightening of the eyes, the, 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 the one that made sure that we'd have grace forever. Could we not see the wonders of his love and live in that love? The love of Christ constraineth me. Brother Tim, the reason people don't live for Jesus Christ and they get in sin and they, they don't live for God is one reason. There's just no love there. We've heard about it. It's a cliche. But it's that right there. Thy love to me. Is wonderful. Would you bow your heads with me?